welcome to the new episode of Dakota Boys Talk Movies. I am Steven. And I am Dakota. And I am President Snow. No, <laughs> and on this episode, we will be discussing the new and final installment in the Hunger Games. Or is it? Uh, yeah. I would say Hunger Games Trilogy, but since they decided to split it, it's a, what does that call it, a quadrilogy? Quadrilogy, yeah. <laughs> However you say it. It's not a true quadrilogy, though. Anyway, we're doing this episode because of Mockingjay Part 2 being in theaters, and we'll be talking about how we feel about the wrap-up of that franchise, at least for now, as Dakota brought up, since J.K. Rowling can't seem to let... Harry Potter dies. She's got a bunch of other things going on with that, be it Broadway plays or spinoff movies. But we'll see if maybe this will this will probably peter out for a while, just because of Maze Runner and Allegiant and whatever those things are. Yeah, but those things suck. <laughs> yeah, I went there's there. your opinion. Yeah, I went there. And, but he is true anyway, <laughs> or tell the truth. But first, we want to get in some movie news. I don't know, that's my movie news theme. So anyway. Fresh off the wire from New York. <laughs> what do you got there, Sam? <laughs> Seriously, though, what do you have? <laughs> do you got anything for the news? Uh, Well, I just thought I'd bring this up here. Uh, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's movie. It's Angelina Jolie Pitt. Yeah. I, she I, calls I, herself in that movie anyway. <laughs> I'm not I'm not using that. Jolie Pitt. Jolie Pitt. It sounds like a French word for like... <laughs> Get out of my face. Jolie Pitt! Anyway, their movie. Sorry. Wow, I just completely <laughs> forgot the title. By the Sea. Doesn't matter because the movie just sucks. By the Sea. <laughs> bombed and caused a tsunami by the sea of floppiness in its wake because it is the most recent in a string of flops <clears throat> with. As Dakota brought up before we started this, they all have A-list actors in them, or what are considered by the media A-list actors. Even if you beg to differ, that even if you don't think they're great actors, they get paid a lot for being in things. You have uh, Burnt flopped, starring Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Our brand is Crisis flopped, starring Sandra Bullock. America's Sweetheart, and... circa 1999. <laughs> and Billy Bob Thornton is also in that. And then, of course... Uh, by the sea now with uh, Prit. Prit? <laughs> <laughs> Angelina Jolie Pitt. Brad Pitt and Jolie Pitt uh, in a very kind of low-key crisis marriage movie uh, that they ironically made on their real-life honeymoon. They made a movie about people struggling with marriage. So that had to be interesting. <laughs> I guess it worked on paper. Yeah, okay. One other noteworthy bomb we should bring up is the Steve Jobs movie that kind of oh, just... Yeah, that kind of... They pulled it. Gem in the Holograms bombed also. That one everyone saw coming. These other But ones, I mean, they're movies that like, you know, at least had a certain amount of attention and were put into yeah. a lot of theaters. In the, the, the... I think the <laughs> most... The thing to kind of note here, though, is that a lot of these were... Wait, let me get my pen. I'm noting this. A lot of these movies were speculated to be Oscar contenders. Now they're just kind of... There, yeah, there was some... 
I don't know if I want to use buzz, but maybe like hum. Especially that, about the Steve, Steve Jobs movie. Yeah, and, there was some like humming that uh, Steve Jobs could be an Oscar t- contender. And then an even slighter hum that this by the sea could maybe be some sort of acting nod to Brad or Angelina or Brangelina together. Maybe they would just get a conjoined Oscar, like a two headed Oscar. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was, and they've all just kind of basically has turned into a big stink bomb is what they've done for, uh, mostly just generally sucking <laughs> to be completely honest. They just, it's pretty rare to see this kind of happen. They just sucked. This is about the time of the year where all the the big Oscar bait movies are coming out, and it. I think there's a lot of people just kind of standing around scratching their heads, like, <laughs> "What went wrong?" Now, now Ron Howard's like, "Maybe I have a chance with In the Heart of the Sea <laughs> for being Best Picture." Maybe I don't know about that, Ronnie. <laughs> I guess Beasts of No Nation is just taking all the laurels. That's right, Netflix is... Taking so much that it leaves no room for any other movie. Yeah, I'm waiting, like, uh, maybe uh, uh, Age of Ultron and Jurassic World will be the best picture <laughs> contender, is, wouldn't that be ironic? And not happen, but... Straight out of Compton. That's but what I'm putting my money on. We have a solid animated feature this year, at least for that category. You got Inside Out, which would be pretty shocking, I would think, if that didn't win the Oscar. As, and... It looks like all the early buzz for The Revenant, which people are actually have seen, is all good. Yeah, that's that's one that probably will end up being a pretty an actual contender and not just like these ones. But yeah, and then kind of on a note that you brought up with Angelina Jolie's universal connection with By the Sea is why did they let her make this movie? They wanted her to star in Wanted 2 <laughs> and or The Bride of Frankenstein. They would rather be an and than an or, it sounds like. <laughs> Which, the real question here is, why wanted to now? <laughs> why wanted to, yeah. That ever. movie came out the same year as The Dark Knight. And not only did that movie have a sequel, and that whole entire character is getting rebooted now. Are they trying to make a sequel to that movie? Especially when Angelina Jolie's character is dead in the movie. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it was it was eight years ago, guys. If you don't know now, you're never going to know. <laughs> How dare you? I was just going to watch that. Uh, yes. Very strange. Bride of Frankenstein. I could see her doing that. I, I don't really have any enthusiasm for any more Frankenstein movies. I don't really have any enthusiasm for it, but I could see it. <laughs> Uh, another interesting note on this whole universal monster universe thing that they're trying to do. They want to make their own cinematic universe with these monster movies is that apparently Tom Cruise is kind of in the talks of being in the mummy reboot for this. Boo. Which this, <clears throat> when you think about it, is an in, could be an interesting universe. If you have Jolie Pitt <laughs> as... Bride of Frankenstein, you have Tom Cruise as the whatever he's going to be in the mummy. I'm hoping he is the mummy. I'm hoping he's Emotep. Uh, there's going to be a lot of big names in this franchise to pay. Daniel Craig is the Invisible Man. <laughs> Bam, there you go. Daniel Craig is the Invisible Man. 
I could, see, and then you could have uh, uh, Hugh Jackman as the Wolfman. There you go. <laughs> I like that. I Wait, no, oh, he can't do that. He's already been Van Helsing. <laughs> That'd be I, too confusing. I want to see a Guillermo del Toro creature from the Black Lagoon. Can we get that made, people? Uh, Guillermo wants to make that. Doesn't he? Isn't that the one that he wants to make? I mean, besides Pinocchio, his dark version of Pinocchio and whatever else he wants to do. But I think he wants to do a lot of things. And then he starts them and he goes, I am backing out of that now. <laughs> he always starts stuff. And then when you get excited about it, he pulls the plug on you. He teases. He's a tease. Yeah, uh, I, we're all still hoping or we're all still hoping we could create a time machine so we could go back in time and actually make the hobbits. And go back in time. Whoa, Huey Lewis. Um, well, I would just like to go back even just a few years and allow Hellboy 3 and Pacific Rim 2 to happen. Pacific Rim is pretty recent, man. <laughs> yeah, but still. <laughs> but it's like, now it's like indefinitely on hold, which means never. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And uh, I don't care... What you say, that was a fun romp in the movie theater. Pacific it was. Rim. That's why God created theaters so we could see awesome movies like that about giant robots fighting giant monsters. Yeah, all these movies that win like the Oscars, they're, they're movies that you can watch on your laptop on an airplane. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> the Notebook could be watched on a notebook. The Notebook could not... be not watched and you would not even notice or care <laughs> that was the love story for our time Stephen. how dare you love story for our time in my opinion was i don't know where i was going <laughs> <laughs> i got nothing uh yeah so just yeah interesting stuff there with this whole universal cinematic universe type thing <laughs> all right enough of the small talk let's mm. get down to the meat of the potato the meat of the potato? <laughs> I think you mean meat and potatoes. You know what? That was a quote from one of my favorite Storage Wars actors. Thank you. That's what he says? The meat of the potato? Yeah, he, he screws up all the little colloquial sayings. Ooh, nice word usage. Colloquial. Look it up, kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's get into our our Hunger Games episode here. Before we get into Mocking JP 2 so I'm going to call it, just, you know, P2. I refuse to say part. Oh, crap, I just did. Uh, just want to give kind of our general feelings going into going into uh, P2. <laughs> Mockingjay P2. Dakota, I'm, I'm going to assume you've seen all of these in theaters or at least from. Uh, yeah, I guess I actually have. Wow, I just thought of that. A <laughs> wow! I don't know that one. A a Fonzie. This is why you don't give Stephen caffeine after ten. Holy PM. cow! I gotta quit drinking caffeine. Um, <laughs> I I I saw I didn't see uh Mocking JP one in theaters, but I saw the other ones in theaters, and uh, I'd read the books previous to that. Had you read the books previous to that? I had. And and I guess going in and watching Hunger Games, I was, for the most part, entertained and, and thought it was all right. I mean, they did 
a decent enough job getting the story across. I thought the uh, what was hard about translating it is that the books were written in first person. And so you're getting it all from Katniss's thought process of it all, like a first-hand account. And I felt like... In a way, it's still kind of like that, though. A little bit. But the way... What didn't come across the same in the movies because of that was... Her and Peta's Their story. Because in the books... In the movies, they make... Her love him stronger, quicker <laughs> than I, you know, in the movies I thought they did. Because in the books, it was kind of like. Yeah, she's very hesitant to even try to get close to in, him or to even try. Yeah, and in the movies, there's that a little bit. But at the same time, she seems to get a care for him pretty quick. Whereas in the books, she kind of puts on a facade and doesn't. And maybe you could argue that she's a teenage girl who's hiding her feelings that whole time, even from herself, deceiving herself a little bit. But I think some of that was with the movies. They just wanted to create more of a love triangle tension there between <clears throat> Gail, Peta, and Katniss and stuff. But uh, I came out of the first movie pretty pleased. Thought it was all right. What did you think of the, the first Hunger Games? Um, I was actually kind of impressed by it because you had those characters from the books – that were interesting, mm-hmm. like Caesar Flickerman, Stanley Tucci, just I thought was pretty, was, pretty good at that. Yeah, role. that that was one thing that they really excelled at in ca- in casting because it a lot of you know obviously this series really banks on Katniss Everdeen, and Jennifer Lawrence does a really good job at playing her. Um, and I some of it is that it's a role that you have to be a teenage play a teenage girl but at the same time have a certain amount of maturity in what her character arc is and i feel like she does a pretty good job at that yeah and uh you know obviously the 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 setup of of the movie is that the it's a post-apocalyptic world of course (laughs) like every young adult book series these days Unfortunately, there's no Mad Max running around saving yeah, everybody. There's no, and the you know the world the world, the United States anyway is set up into these districts and it's called Pan Am, and they hold this Hunger Games every year to remind the citizens who's in charge. Really, is what it boils down to why they really do it. And but they who who goes into these games is they. It's a lottery of two from each district in the teenagers. They pick two teenagers, which most of you probably know this stuff because it's was in every trailer. But what happens is, you know, Katniss's sister gets chosen and Katniss volunteers as tribute in her sister's place. And that's really the takeoff point from this where she isn't even meant to be in the games, but she does it to protect her sister, who she sees as still you know pure and caring girl and obviously she doesn't want her sister to die because you probably will in the hunger games i mean you fight to the death uh to the victor goes all the spoils but by seeing some of the other victors as you do through the movie including woody harrelson's character you realize being the victor doesn't seem to be all that great either um just because you're still in a certain amount of slavery even when you are the victor and so you know what what 
transpires through the first movie is she's really good with a bow and arrow. Obviously, everybody knows that, too. And, uh, you know, obviously, since there's more, this isn't really a spoiler because now there's more movies. She basically, quote unquote, wins the Hunger Games. But part of that is that of winning Hunger Games was she decided not to kill PETA. And then they were going to kill themselves at the same time as a way of not of of she meant it to just be um it was her way of kind of defying the capital yeah she was defying the capital but for more personal reasons but what happened was because of what she did she became the national symbol of defiance against the capital and immediately made an enemy of president snow yeah who that's a character who, in the books from the get-go, I think is way more sinister. He doesn't really become sinister in the movies, I don't feel, till like, maybe the latter part of the second one. <laughs> he has those, his face just kind of conveys, like... Well, I think that's what they were banking on, was, hey, look at Donald Sutherland, he looks like a creep. <laughs> but, you know, it just feels like he wasn't quite... I just felt he was ickier in the books, I guess, just the way he came across... Yeah, but he's, he's definitely more cold. And what's what's interesting about these movies is that she ends up becoming the symbol of the rebellion, but the capital is obviously trying to stop that from catching fire. Ooh, Ooh. the name of the second uh, book slash movie, and she's really hesitant to become that. Just because it's really both sides, both sides of this, of this fighting systems and are really trying to use her in a lot of ways. The, the capital wants to use her as the victor of their games. The rebellion wants to use her as the symbol for their rebellion. And she's kind of stuck in the middle with PETA. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was horrible. Never do that again. <laughs> and uh and so that's that's kind of where you're at. And then the second movie is her her and Pete having to be in the Hunger Games again because it's a special one where the victors are in the Hunger Games and events transpire where she gets more involved with the rebellion against the Capitol through these things. And that's where Mockingjay Part 1 picks up is that she's with the resistance to the capital, and you realize they want to use her as their propaganda tool to surge the movement more through all the districts. And uh, and how did, how did you feel about Mockingjay Part 1? You know, that I know when that um, – like I said, that was the one I saw in – that was one I didn't see in theaters, and a lot of people were like, oh, it was a lot of talking and not very action-packed. But when I saw it, I was surprised. I thought Mockingjay Part 1 was really good. Yeah, there's not a lot of action in that movie, and I think a lot of people went to it thinking there was going to be, you know, because each movie kind of gets its bigger, bigger. This one kind of took a step back. It was more personal. Mm -hmm. And it almost had to just because of what the story was. It was her um, 
or, kind of hunkered down with the resistance and yeah. them them finding ways to use her and how they were going to use her. But this was another place where uh, the casting was. Just, I thought Julianne Moore, she shows up in Mocking Jay in the Mocking Jays as President Coin, the leader of the resistance. I thought she was really well cast. Yeah, and. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman's in Catching Fire a little bit, but obviously his role gets bigger in Mockingjay Part 1. Another just excellent casting choice there. I thought he did a really good job. Uh, it's another movie like we brought up in the James Bond, or I did, and James Bond was over. Jeffrey Wright, I think, feels underused. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but part of that is just who he was. and and. Uh, then we had the comedic relief in the form of Elizabeth Banks' character, Effie Trinket. Yeah, the the ridiculously dressed woman <laughs> from the first couple movies who, because of how she helped Katniss, ends up being with the Resistance and not quite as festively dressed. <laughs> yeah, she's too pampered to handle life living in a bunker. <laughs> she's too District 1 to be with D13. But, uh... Through all this, though, it's uh, Katniss really being used is what it is. Is like even there's even a certain amount of heartlessness with the. That's what I found interesting. There's even a certain amount of heartlessness with the rebellion and how they just want to make propaganda videos with her. Yeah. And like, oh, go do this so we can film it and things like that. And not, I mean, not that you know. Obviously, their intentions you could say are quote-unquote good because they want to spur the nation to uprise against the capital but they seem so emotionless and blasé about these things like oh make sure you film her while she's crying and you know and it's like things like that or while she's distraught about that and it just feels like almost so calculated and cold that's kind of how most of the people from district 13 come off it seems like yeah they're very yeah they uh, maybe it's due to the fact that they they come from somewhere where I think as it said in the F- Marking J Part One, where military they kind of view themselves as a military society, and they've been so out of you know district. This District Thirteen has been thought to be non-existent. Yeah, they pretty and much. So they've been in hiding all this time and haven't really seen a lot of the things that the others have in one sense, you know, because they've just been hunkered down. And so they don't have the same types of emotional passion that these other people have seen some of the atrocities and horrors have. Yeah, they live kind of. They were better taken care of, I guess, where they were. In one like, sense. They weren't starving, but it's brought up in the movie that. Uh, apparently disease kind of went through their their structure where they live, and that's why you don't see many children. And the president coin, the reason why she's kind of the way she is, she lost her husband and her her child. Yeah, she's really she's really uh, frigid. I guess would be a good word for her. <laughs> yeah, she she kind of comes into her own light at the end. She gives a very stirring speech, whereas. In the beginning, she kind of is against making speeches. She's very plain speaking. And that's the thing, like, Julianne Moore plays her so well because you can't quite figure out if that's 
genuinely who President Coin is, or it you can always see a certain amount of calculating going on behind her eyes. Like, is she holding back purposefully? You know, and 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 uh, that's why she's it's kind of an interesting character, and she plays her well because you can't quite place Coin on the scale of good or bad. Well, not even so much good or bad, but when she's genuine and when she's not genuine, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, just just interesting character. Um, well, I mean, that what is interesting about these young adult, adult novels is that there are a lot of interesting characters and there is a lot of uh big ideas to think through in these movies whereas it's not just so much like a dystopian entertainment where there seems to be a lot of kind of thought-provoking ideas and and uh questions brought up through these yeah, Stephen. Stephen's not gonna like me for bringing this up, but this is probably the first movie I had seen since V for Vendetta, where you had, where the main focus of the movie was about trying to get people fired up enough for them to take up arms against the government, which is a pretty scary, scary idea. I mean, in today's world, should the government something go go awry? They declare martial law. Obviously, if should that be, should that not be, you know, as God, what am I trying to say here, Stephen? Well, I don't know. I guess it's kind of one of those things where martial, like martial law, was a great thing until it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Because they just decided to hold on to the power. And create a new government through that power. You know, it, it's kind of like Gladiator, where the reason see, the, the, uh, Richard Harris's Caesar wanted Maximus to be the next leader was that he could trust Maximus to hand over the government to the Senate to make it a republic again. But he knew he couldn't trust his own son to do that. And that's that's kind of what happened here where it's like instead of saying, okay, we we're, we got peace again. Let's hand it back over to uh, a free election re- republic, uh, <coughs> democratic republic. Well, they didn't do that. They just held on to the power and set up a system where they could control everything, where – the people who are really well off stay really well off and everyone else just kind of suffers for that. I mean, it's, it's something we see in certain countries around the world, even today where, uh, power is given over to someone, whether he takes it by force or it's kind of given to him in a sense. And then he just runs with it until it's a regrettable <laughs> decision and and you're realizing that president snow has been the leader longer than anyone right of pan am isn't that the deal like he's been yeah leader for decades yeah like it's the 76th hunger games and catching no 75th hunger games in catching fire and he had he's been president for quite a few of those years you know of, of, of that 
of that going on. And so, uh, which they bring up in the Mockingjay part one, he kind of kept control by poisoning his enemies. Yeah. And pretty much just digging up dirt on people and yeah, the reason keeping hit them under his thumb. Yeah. The reason he had, he's yeah. The reason he'd been leader so long is that he made sure it stayed that way. And he's, he was just one of those sleazy guys like that. I guess you could say for lack of a better word, but I think it's funny. You brought up the fact that, uh, the movie gladiator, because, um, pretty much the world that these characters live in is almost, it it pretty much is almost like ancient Rome, except they have all this technology. Yeah, I mean it's technologically you, advanced ancient Rome is really you. You have this city which has all the power, and they take everything for themselves. And you have people in the the outlying areas that are just subservient to them. Yeah, and the people in the capital live like outrageously, like over the top. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's just, it is interesting. But yeah, it's like a technologically advanced Rome, ancient Rome. But, uh, so really what Mockingjay P2 is, is obviously the continuation and, and resolve of Katniss becoming the face of the rebellion and reluctantly go falling more and more into that role and and how a lot of the reason that 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 goes on to be and that she is is because of her still trying to save slash protect PETA which a lot of people find annoying it's like oh it's always save Peter what about PETA and PETA 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 I want some PETA bread <laughs> or whatever and Ah, I just realized he's a baker and his name is Peta. Peta bread. That's funny. Uh, and so, uh, like I said, I was really impressed with, I thought Mockingjay uh, P1 was just a, a really good, a lot. And I think some of it was, I wasn't, you know, just going in kind of knowing it. Some people thought it was like a little too dialogue heavy or unnecessary to have two parts. But, I didn't feel like it was when I look at him, I didn't feel like it was necessarily drawn out just for the sake of drawn, drawn out. Did you? No, I didn't think so. Feel that like, cause uh, deathly hollows. I, yeah. I, I felt that a little bit like they part. They really didn't need to be a deathly. I was part one. There could, you know I mean? It just felt like part one was just a lot of big buildup just for the finale. Whereas they could have just had one movie with deathly hollows. Um, you make more money with two, though. Well, exactly, and and honestly, I'm sure Lionsgate was thinking the same thing with this. But when I just pull back and feelings aside of how I feel about part one and part two of book movies, this one wasn't the most annoying or pointless of ones I've seen. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't see the Twilight. I saw the first Twilight movie. <laughs> And that was enough, but <laughs> it just felt like that whole part one, part two was But they only get better as they go yeah, on. Yeah, it felt like that was unnecessary. Deathly Hollows, I feel like, was unnecessary. But this one, whether it was necessary or not, it worked. 
Probably because they're two different movies, and it's not. And that's the thing. They felt like two very different movies. It didn't feel like it was like a jolting stop, and I have to wait till you know the next one comes out to see the rest. You know, it felt like it had the the flow of its own movie. And you're right, even though it was part one and part two, they felt like different movies in a lot of ways. So, yeah, and it's, and I mean, as far as faithfulness to the book um it's just like any movie i mean obviously they're going to take liberties or tweak things a little bit but these ones i felt at least definitely kept the heart of the book within them you know i mean even if there were things that were tweaked or left out or blah 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 you mean (laughs) still felt like you know the heart of the story was still there wouldn't you think so yeah and they I, didn't do anything too radically to change the story, so. No, yeah, there wasn't anything really radically done. But what the other thing I did like was, uh, previous to these Hunger Games movies, Francis Lawrence, the director, I would prefer to call him Frank, because I feel like Francis is such a womanly name for a man. <laughs> but Francis Lawrence, he directed Catching Fire on. He directed Catching Fire and the rest. He The only one he didn't direct was the first one. Before that, he had done I Am Legend and Constantine, which I thought were kind of... You know, it's funny you bring up I Am Legend. They're kind of uh, movies, but I felt like he did a little better job with these movies. In fact, I liked the way he did, like, the look and feel he gave the movies, I thought, was better than the look of the first Hunger Games movie that Gary Ross did. I just felt like... Gary Ross's the first one was almost too clean for that world. Like it just looked yeah, so kind of clean. Then he was doing that shaky cam craziness that's in vogue right now. Yeah, and and that's all right. It was just it just felt like for a a world where the destitute people live totally destitute. I felt like it was still kind of like a very nice looking movie. And yeah. uh, I feel like Francis Lawrence, when he took over, he kind of felt a little more of the kind of grit of it a little bit more. But sorry, you were saying speaking of I am or it's funny about I am legend. Why is that? <laughs> well, and uh, there's a scene in this movie where uh, Katniss and company are underground in a sewer. Oh, I know. I thought. Yeah, I thought of I am legend of that part, too. And yeah, there are these. I know in the book there are these supposed to be these reptilian looking monsters chasing after them. Right. But when you see them, they reminded me so much of the creatures from I Am Legend. They did. They did have a like a resemblance to um the zombie things from yeah. I Am Legend. Yeah, my friend Thomas pointed that out to me and I was like, Good lord, you're right. Yeah, they they yeah, he didn't make them so reptilian. They're like eyeless. Which now that you rem- you bring up monsters. Constantine, it reminds me of the eyeless monsters from Constantine with the huge mouths. Ah, yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, that which, is which were also gray. That is an interesting. Well, what happens is is in Mockingjay Part Two, they they know that they're gonna work through to make their way to the capital, and so they have the game makers put all these traps through the capital and of course since it's this advanced technology they can have these mutated monsters and 
Which begs the question, why didn't they just create a giant army of these monsters? Because they seemed pretty effective. (laughs) You know, yes. I know. I thought about that, too. It's like, couldn't they have... And I don't. Maybe they were afraid they couldn't control the monsters. Would be the argument there. Just like let them loose and <laughs> run for it. I guess put some sort of kill switch in them. <laughs> so like when they're done like eating on the peasants, you just kill them or blow their. Or they run off into the wild and start mating, and you never go back there again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the, if they have the technology to make them, you'd think they could make them sterile. But that's what they thought in Jurassic Park. <laughs> and as Jeff Goldblum says, a uh, a uh, life finds a way <laughs> so uh yeah and and so as far as we're, we don't want to give away too much of how the whole finale of this works in case you don't know uh, but it does return of the king <laughs> came to mind yes there's the... there's a little bit of uh you feel like the end ending is coming and then it pulls again and then you feel like the ending is coming and it pulls again a little bit kind of like return of the king you know people jokingly say oh, it had eight endings um yeah it did yeah it did they were just like that was for some reason the way peter jackson decided to wrap up every character's story was by blacking out the screen yeah, that fade to black thing really which, got me. Which was a bad idea because then it did feel like it was over. And then it like, would come back and you're in the Shire. And and whereas in, in, in Hunger Games it didn't quite do this fade to black, but it did like get to a point where it feels like it was like you're waiting for a directed by to come onto the screen or something. And then it would kind of – and so there was a little bit of that to the ending. But I thought it it ended about as well – as you thought it would. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm not going to say like, it was like the most amazing ending I've ever seen in a movie, but I thought that I was happy that it did have a conclusion. This was not a feel good ending, mind you, but it, it was the best. I think the characters are going to get. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was nice to see a conclusion for everything whether for good or bad for what characters you liked or not. <laughs> I was just glad I didn't burst out in tears. Um, yeah, apparently Dakota saw someone crying uh, at his uh, at his screening of it, which is... This was a good movie, but I don't think it was that powerful to warrant tears. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> wow, I'm choking to death here. Um, yeah, it wasn't like tear-jerking. This wasn't um, terms of endearment, okay? Or Inside Out. I cried in Inside Out, just about. Or the end of the last Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> oh, man. I just teared up a bit, okay, man? It was, uh, a very, it was a very, very rare moment for me, but it happened. Yeah, and so, I mean, these days when things don't ever seem to end... <laughs> I'm looking at you, Fast and Furious. It's nice to have something just end. No matter if it if it is all good or not, there there isn't anything there. And I guess when I go back and look over these movies, this was not a bad franchise or series of movies. They all maybe had some weak stuff to them, but overall, they're really engaging. The acting is pretty good um 
you know, I kind of don't really care for Liam's Liam Hemsworth too much. The guy who played Gale, but I think he should have been replaced by Jai Courtney personally. Jai Courtney. He's Jai Courtney's a little too old. And you, an idiot. You, you would have got the same performance out of him as yeah. you would have out of Liam Hemsworth. Yeah. I, Gale was a character where I felt like as the movies went on, his character was different from the books in just his development, you know, in certain ways. But, but I mean, you do, it, it is a, it is a pretty solid, you know, trilogy, sl- trilogy of story slash four movie <laughs> thing uh, where, it, I mean, they're, they're interesting to watch. And I know when this one ended, my wife and I were, were talking about just how eerie it was that certain phrases and ways things were said in this movie seem very reminiscent of certain real world events going on and how we have to make <clears throat> decisions in how to handle certain world events and how they transpire and, and and it is it is pretty cool when you go to a movie and it causes you to have some discussion that's what movies should do it's cause you to have some discussion on on uh just what you know the ideas that that they're presenting in the movie because every movie every movie you watch no matter if it's dumb and dumber 2 or citizen kane has a message there's a message there whether it's um it's whether it's totally idiotic and st- stupid or not i mean there's there's something there that the movie is giving you and and you're taking in and and so it, that i guess partially in saying that it causes you to maybe think about what movies you do watch <laughs> and how they are affecting you but but it it is it is i like it when a movie causes you to think about um things in that way and cause a little bit of discussion as you're leaving and finishing up your popcorn on the way home. So, and I thought that that is what's interesting about the hunger games is that because Suzanne Collins wrote the books because she was provoked about things she was seeing on TV. Um, you know, this mixture of what we decide to glorify in real, and then this whole reality television type thing. And, and, that she wrote this the book series to be a thought provoking discussion starter and I thought the movies did the same thing. So and so uh I guess to bring it back I'm getting a little deep here maybe. <laughs> but uh uh I guess uh as far as mocking J A P two, I it I was impressed by just how good it was because usually things based off of young adult novels, as we've seen in the past few years, just aren't that great. And this one, this one was pretty good. This one was pretty good. And it had a, it had an, like I said, it just was nice to have an actual conclusion and have something that was like, wow, you know, that was really cool. And you're kind of satisfied when you leave, but I don't know. What do you think Dakota? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> you might not like me after hearing this. Okay, this was I thought this was a good movie. Okay. It, it was. 
it just drug a little a little too much in some areas. I mean, I thought this was going to be this was like the big movie where it was all or nothing. It was going to be big and a lot of lot of uh lot of action and a lot of danger and and it didn't necessarily have that. Okay. But like I said, it just in some parts it just kind of drug a little bit, and it it kind of I didn't mind the ending so much. I really didn't. I mean, it, it stayed close to the book fairly well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't mind it so much as I mean, it isn't. Uh, you know, your spirits aren't necessarily lifted. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. So it was good. But there's just some parts um, that kind of that kind of bothered me, but. Overall, I thought it was a good movie. I I'm gonna recommend that people go see this in the theaters because it's just one of those movies that you gotta. If you're gonna see it, you might as well see it on the big screen. Yeah, and and uh, I I mean I would I would say the same thing. I mean, if you don't see it on the big screen, it's not like oh you miss. Some people get really like if you don't see it on the big screen, don't see it at all with certain <laughs> movies. Um, this is a movie where it still has a, an interesting story to it, but, um, it wasn't, I, I mean, it, it isn't a bad experience. Yeah. If you get a chance to see it on the big screen you, and you're interested and you might as, you might as well, if you want to, and, and it's something you want to see, uh, go for it. But I mean, obviously it's one where you're going to want to have, you're going to need to have seen the other ones for it to make sense. <laughs> That's true. Obviously. Uh, but you would know that at this point because obviously when you go into a part two, you're obviously supposed to have probably seen part one. But this is one where part one wouldn't have made sense if you hadn't seen Catching Fire or even The Hunger Games, the the very first one. And uh, I'm still waiting for somebody. It'll probably be a few years down the road to just to just weave all these movies together. No, yeah, just have one giant movie. One, yeah, <laughs> they did that with the Godfathers. They, and it was actually kind of cool. That'd be a long movie. It was. So, oh, good lord. Uh, but yeah. So, I guess overall, Dakota and I, um, I give it a pretty strong recommendation. And Dakota, you give it a. I'm giving it a thumbs up. A thumbs up, which is uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so we both well, give it. Well, I, I figured I'd stick with the style of being Roman, which this movie <laughs> kind of had. So there you go. The Dakota Ways Talk movies give it two thumbs up. That's going to be our new thing because nobody's ever done that before. And so, uh, yeah, so check it out. But like I said, obviously you need to have seen the other ones. Um, Might as well take a friend. Even if they haven't seen the other one, just to yeah, annoy them. Might as well take a friend. Might as well take a friend. Even though I've gone to movies by myself, and I kind of like that too. Sometimes that's kind of nice. Like, like you just like because then you're like not worried about when I need to put my arm around someone <laughs> or <laughs> things like that. You're just zoned into the movie. But as long as you're not in there with some coffer behind you or. Something like that. Anyway. Or somebody crying in the front row. <laughs> crying in the front row. Yeah, that's, that's a new one. So, with that, we'll kind of reel this show in. Uh, once again, as I always say at the end, remember to like us on Facebook. 
Subscribe to us in whatever way you want to to keep up with things. And just make us feel cool that we have subscribers because that's cool. So please do those things. Of course, we're on YouTube, iTunes, all those places. You know, I would even recommend if you don't like us, let us know why. Yeah. Yeah, we're totally up for uh, constructive criticism. Don't, or if, don't just be hurtful because that hurts. <laughs> but, yeah, we're, we're always up for constructive criticism. What you think we're good at and would like to see more of, what you think we're bad at and you think we could improve on, all that type of jazz. So questions, comments, concerns, fan theories, and, we want to hear it all. And also, Dakota and I have been talking to – a while back about how when we get into the beginning of the year it's kind of usually a slow time in the movie theaters for anything great to talk about and so if you have any movies you'd like us to review just for the hay of it that you'd be like hey you should check out that one and and we've t- and we talked we did that with mr holmes and i know maybe some of you don't didn't care about mr holmes but it did i mean it did look like people were watching it and checking it out which is good because it's sometimes it's fun to hear about movies you don't even know if you're going to care about it too yeah. and maybe you find out hey it's gonna be better than i thought but I'm, if you have any movies you'd like us to review you know throw those at us i'm gonna dare you guys to dare us to review all the mad max movies that's what i'm gonna do oh oh dakota wants to do the mad max movies so <laughs> and steven's just like oh boy yeah whatever but um yeah so <laughs> Those are those are kind of all our little things here at the end here. So check out those things. And uh, like I said, we can take criticism, but just don't be hurtful for the sake of hurtful. Be constructive in it, <laughs> so we know how to improve and not just want to. Plus, we will find you jump out a window or something. But anyway, <laughs> uh, with that, uh, we'll wrap up this episode. And so this is Stephen, and this is Dakota. Have a good evening. And may the odds be ever in your favor.